0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. It's a joy to see you all, and what a joy to be together as we worship the Lord. And if you are a kindergartner, you are welcome. K four, K five, you are welcome to head to Bible study. And if you are not, then you can turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter eleven. We're going to be in eleven verse seven through chapter twelve verse seven, and we are making our way to the conclusion of this book tomorrow. Next week, next Sunday, we will conclude our series. Through the Ecclesiastes, and I pray at this point you uh, have not considered it all vanity, this sermon series, uh, but it's been helpful and instructive to you as every passage from God's word, God's word certainly is. So today we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 7, then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we gather this morning, we are reminded of our great dependence and need for you, our God who never changes. Lord, we are reminded today of our weakness, of our frailty, of the brevity of this life. And Lord, as we look face to face in this text to our own mortality, our own deaths, Lord, may we be reminded and encouraged, as we've already read from John's gospel, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn to live wisely in the days that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that your word being preached today would be used by your spirit to save those who are lost, to build up your church so that we might live wisely for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, might've been a few years ago now, it might've been a decade. I'm not sure when it happened, but there was a movie that came out called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. You ever heard of this movie? I remember going to the theater with Caitlin to see it in person on a hot Orlando New Year's Eve to watch this really strange film. And so I typically find myself incredibly reflective at the setting of another year and the dawn of a new year. So watching this film on New Year's Eve was a strange phenomenon for me as I contemplated the acceleration of time, indeed the vanity of this life, and how each passing year seemed to only increase. So the movie only contributed to that angst that I was feeling in my soul that day because the plot of the movie involves a man who is born old, and then he gets younger as he ages. He's born an old man, but he dies as an infant at the age of 84. So by the movie sort of reverting the aging process, it tells an interesting story, if not a strange account of the fragility of human life. Indeed, part of the theme of the movie is that we are just as helpless as we come into the world than as we go out of the world. The end of life is just as helpless as the beginning of life. So the velocity of time passing can cause you, can cause me, a bit of distress. As we get older and as we look back upon our lives, we can find ourselves facing this sort of bewilderment, asking ourselves, where did all the time go? Where did the decades go? Where did the years go? As author Terry Pratchett once wrote, inside every older person is a younger person wondering what happened. Have you felt that way from time to time. But our mortality and the fact that we age, it shouldn't surprise us, but it tends to catch us off guard as it goes by. Instead, as our text will help us do, recognizing our age recognizing how fast goes by, learning to age and grow old well. Indeed, that is a matter of wisdom in terms of how we grow old. The book of Ecclesiastes has this habit, this pattern of constantly nagging us with our mortality. He's just always reminding us yet again that we die. It's like a little schoolyard bully that just keeps poking you with a, a prick, you know, just reminding you over and over again, Jay, just in case you forgot, you're going to die. That's a constant reminder in this book. So Ecclesiastes brings this message to us. The preacher has reminded us throughout this book that all that is under the sun is indeed vanity. But as the book is making its way towards its conclusion, he picks up the pace and he's preparing us for the great results of his search for meaning and significance under the sun. So the preacher in this text, in this whole book of Ecclesiastes, follows the great maxim of good literature, show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. So he's been showing us all throughout this book of all the vanity of life. Indeed, he's taken us of a tour of life under the sun, but now as he's coming to the precipice of the book's conclusion, he's becoming increasingly more direct with his teaching. So today we are going to look at the scope of human life from beginning of life to end of life. And the preacher is going to give some final words of counsel before his conclusion. Counsel for both young people, for so you kids in the room, and also for you older people. And I'll let you name yourself if you fall in that camp, right? And for everybody in between. He's got counsel for all of us today as we consider aging and growing old. So from our text today, I wanna share with you four admonishments for us as we age. Now these admonishments are gonna apply for everyone, whether you have the luscious locks of a young child or whether you have the thinning gray crown of glory on your head. But these admonishments, I think, will be relevant to all of us. But if you are young, I think they will be especially relevant to you As the more years you have ahead of you, the more valuable this advice becomes. So let's see what God's word has to teach us about growing old and aging. So first admonishment, rejoice in the sweetness of life. Rejoice in the sweetness of life. Look at verse seven. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. You know, it's a sweet thing to be alive to bask in the light of the sun each day. You see, life under the sun may indeed feel quite often like vanity, but it is a good thing to be alive, to let your eyes be open, to see the sun rise yet again. We should consider every day that the Lord gives you and the Lord gives me, we should count it as a sweet and pleasant gift from God. Indeed, every day is a gracious gift undeserved, that God gives to us. And when you roll out of bed in the morning, do you, do you think that way? Do you find your heart filled with thanksgiving, that as you arise from your bed, you get to see the sun come up one more time? Maybe not. Right, do you wake up with this sort of appreciation that God has gifted me undeserved with another day? Do you frequently neglect such thanksgiving for God? that he gives you life and breath and everything? Do you go about your life with this sort of indifference and ingratitude that you fail to recognize the sweetness of life and the life that God has given you? You see, you may not think you have much to thank God for today, but you have far more to thank God for than you realize. A grumbling spirit clogs thanksgiving the thanksgiving that we ought to give to the Lord. That's good counsel, not only for this week as we prepare to give thanks with our families, but it's just a good principle for living. If you're grumbling, if you find no joy, if you fail to recognize the sweetness of life, then you won't be a thankful person to the Lord. So if your eyes are open today and you're here, to my knowledge, you're conscious and awake, right? From what I can see from here, then you have reasons to give thanks to the Lord right? Living today, being alive in this moment is a sweet and pleasant gift. No matter what you're going through, it is a gift. Even Jeremiah could say in his great mournful and tragic work called Lamentations, he could say in the middle of the book that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now if Jeremiah could utter such words of thanksgiving while weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem, certainly you and I can give thanks to God for his new morning mercies. To live, to breathe, to feel the warmth upon of the sun upon our skin, there is a sweetness to be alive that should cause us to thank God. You see, when we are young, it's, it's easy to have our hearts filled with sort of a joyous optimism about life. Your life is open before you as a young person. Your life is filled with possibilities, with dreams, with ambitions, with, with, with incredible undiscovered pleasures you've yet to know. And as we get older, it's easy for us to become grumpy, to become pessimistic, to become jaded. With each year of life, you experience even more hardships more pain, more of the effects of aging, which agitate and burden and encumber our bodies. And over time, life has a way of crushing our dreams, and our lives very frequently don't go as we plan them to go. And as the darkness of death approaches us, as we get closer and closer to it, aging can make the most optimistic, hopeful person a cynic. Age brings wisdom, yes. It helps you see the vanity of life. Yes, it does. But when reality chews and spits you out, and when this crooked, crooked world crumbles away your youthful naivete, we must still rejoice in the sweetness of life that God has given us. To be alive is a precious gift from the Lord. And so the preacher tells us to enjoy the sweetness of life, whether you are 81 or 18 doesn't matter we should all be grateful to God for the gift of life. Look at what he says in verse 8. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Old age brings its own troubles. It brings vexation and pain as we'll see shortly, but we must rejoice in every day that the Lord has given us. He is the sovereign one who numbers our days. And we should rejoice in every day that the Lord has given us. After all, the days of basking in the light of this sun are few. The days of darkness, meaning what's to come in eternity, are many. So the preacher urges us to enjoy life while you have it. Be grateful for it. May joy be the constant posture of your heart and in mind every day even with the difficulties, even with the hardships, even with the aches and pains of old age, may we all say, young and old alike, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You see, a grumbling, despairing life does not bring glory to God. So look, you who are downcast, those of you who are burdened, Those of you who are depressed and anxious and burdened, look to the goodness of God in giving you yet another day of life. He has been so gracious to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Seize each day as a sweet, sweet gift of God that it is. So that's the first admonishment, rejoice. But second, live in light of the judgment to come. Live in light of the judgment to come. If you want to age well, you need to remember eternity. Joy, as we've already mentioned, it tends to come a little bit easier to those of us who are more youthful. We often call those young days our glory days for a reason. We are in peak physical health, we are in peak appearance, and we live with the world as our oyster ready to crack open at our command, right? As I read about this sort of youthfulness, I, I picture those great college days, right? Where you stay up late in the night playing ultimate frisbee with your friends, running around, dripping in sweat, and then going to Waffle House at 3 a.m. and plowing down some waffles. You just think that sort of season of life. That's that's what I imagine the preacher has in mind as he gives us verse nine. Those young people who are young and wild and free. Look at what he says in verse nine. Rejoice, O young man and your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes now the preacher tells us to enjoy life if you're young and youthful enjoy the days of your youth enjoy while you have it that strong back enjoy that high metabolism enjoy that boundless energy that you seem to have rejoice in the season of youthfulness even as you realize that that season is not one that lasts forever. So while the preacher urges the young to enjoy life, he tells us to enjoy responsibly. That's important. Look at verse 9. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Fascinating. The preacher isn't promoting this sort of carnal hedonism here. Indeed, youthfulness Has a tendency to lead to selfish indulgence and to selfishness. The instructions of walk in the ways of your heart in the side of your eyes, that sounds like the sort of advice you might hear on social media today. Right? Walk in the ways of your heart. Your eyes see something, enjoy it. If it feels good, do it. Enjoy it while you're young. Those are the sorts of advice we hear all the time. And such advice can lead people to drunkenness, to drugs to sexual sin, and to countless other sins of the flesh. So if you are young, you need to hear not just the first part of verse 9, but you need to hear the second part of verse 9. You will stand before God's judgment and how you walk in the ways in the sight of your eyes. Wisdom comes from recognizing that your choices, even while young, do bring eternal consequences the Lord will hold you accountable for how and the manner in which you live your life. So enjoy life, live it to the fullest, enjoy all the pleasures of youthfulness, but do so by following God's word. Indeed, the preacher is setting up the T for the conclusion of the book, to fear God and to keep his commandments. So the preacher says, enjoy life, relish the sweetness of your youth, do whatever your heart desires, but make sure that those desires are checked by God's word. You see, particularly those of you who are young, I think you need to hear this. You, know, you old folks need to hear it too, right? God's word isn't a killjoy to your pleasure, but it protects us with wisdom so that the consequences of sin Don't wreak havoc havoc upon our lives, both in the present and in the life to come. God's word is good and profitable and instructive. Live your life by it. We will all one day, young and old alike, stand before God and give an account to our lives, the decisions we made. And the sooner that we realize that the reality of eternity is coming and that we live unto a holy God, the sooner you realize that, the quicker you will grow in wisdom, even if you are young in age. We have all, many times in many ways, walked in the ways of our heart. We've done that advice, but we've walked straight into sin, haven't we? Indeed, we follow our hearts. We trust our hearts. We take the preacher's advice here, but our hearts are fickle. They're depraved. They're easily duped and deceived. And so before the judgment seat of God, there is no one righteous, no, not one, the apostle would say. Before a holy and just judge, we need an advocate. We need Christ Jesus, the righteous, because only Jesus can pay the penalty for our sin. Only He can justify us before the judge in heaven, of heaven and earth. Only Jesus can recreate our wayward, sinful hearts and make us new creations by His glory. So, for those of you who are young, I pray that you realize today your need for Jesus. And if you can realize that while you're young, praise be to God. The sooner you recognize the majesty and your need for Christ, the better. The Lord can and does certainly save those who are older. We praise God that he saves old guys like Luke Short at the age of 103, as we talked last week. Praise God that he does so. But it's especially valuable to learn the wisdom of Christ while you are still young, to come to grips with... With the truth of God's word, so that you might, in your young age, take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only when you find your life in Christ that you do not squander your youth, that the freedom of grace that God gives us helps us to live our lives fully and joyfully for His glory. So don't squander your youthfulness with the vanities under the sun, as we've recounted all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Instead, I pray that the Lord would give you a regenerate heart, a heart awakened by the gospel, that as you walk in the ways of this new heart that the Lord has given you by his spirit, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as you bask in the pleasures and the joys of each day, that your sight would be fixed upon Christ and that glory that is to be revealed. But thirdly, third admonishment, remove vexation and pain. Remove vexation and pain. We see this in verse 10. So as we enjoy the sweetness of the gift of life, and as we live for God's glory, the preacher encourages us to remove points of vexation of heart and pain and body. And if possible, he urges us to remove those points of vexation and pain from our lives. So vexation here refers to problems that that anger grieves or irritates us in our hearts. With life in a fallen and crooked world, there are plenty of circumstances that can vex you and keep you up at night. Pain refers to that sort of breakdown of the body, often due to old age and the besetting struggles of living life in the flesh in this fallen world. So as we have opportunity, the preacher says, Remove those sources of pain and stress from your life. Perhaps if your job is causing you a great deal of vexation, maybe you start looking for another job and you look for a job and a career that gives you a healthier rhythm of life and family and church. Perhaps that means that if your body is aching and you're filled with pain, that you thank the Lord for common grace and grab a bottle of Tylenol and take it to remove the the pain from your body. See, we can't remove every vexation and pain. The preacher doesn't say we can. We shouldn't adopt this mindset, though, of just grin and bear it, that God wants me to be miserable and painful and stressed. You see, if we can, if we can, we should make changes to our lives to remove that sort of vexation and pain. So, particularly when it comes to pain, we should really do thank the Lord for that common grace called modern pharmaceuticals that help us to address pain. That if you can't alleviate these things, The preacher says, do so. Don't be miserable just for the sake of being miserable. Care for your soul. Care for your body. Make the necessary changes so that you can maximally enjoy the life that God has given you. But sometimes the Lord does call us to take on vexation and pain for his glory. The apostle Paul had a life that was both vexing and painful, didn't he? He writes of the the daily pressures of his anxiety for all the churches. And yet, he didn't quit his mission because he was stressed out by his job, did he? He also regularly endured beatings and lashes and pain for his missionary efforts by persecution. But yet, he didn't call it and go home to Jerusalem because he was getting hit a few times. You see, obedience to God sometimes means that we embrace vexation and pain. The goal of our lives is not to be comfortable. We should live every day for the glory of the Lord, but yet we should employ common sense to avoid misery whenever possible. In other words, we shouldn't embrace this sort of martyrdom complex where we want to be hurt and in pain just because we can. Don't be miserable just for the sake of being miserable, but be obedient to the Lord. And as that vexation and pain might come, embrace it according to his providence. So, what do we do when we expect vexation and pain which can't be removed? Well, sometimes you have that. You might have a chronic disease, a thorn in the flesh that can't be taken away. You might have an an anxiousness, a family situation that you just can't remove. It, It continues to vex you. Paul also gives us instructions here of what to do with some sort of vexation and pain that can't be removed. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to take up the means of prayer right? Remember his words to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, vexed about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as we rely upon the Lord in prayer, in the weakness of the flesh, we, by God's grace, know something of the strength of Christ, Evident in our lives. So as we get older, our lives will increase in both of those categories, don't they? As we get older, we find ourselves increasingly vexed in the heart. And we also find increasing pain that comes in the body. The stresses of age, they can grow more overwhelming. The pain of a deteriorating body, it becomes sharper. Indeed, youth is a vanity, the preacher says, that is quickly slipping away. It goes by fast. And as the preacher moves towards this final conclusion here, he gives some final counsel as he poetically and quite beautifully describes our mortality. And this leads to the fourth admonishment today as we live young and old alike. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. These verses contain some beautiful language and imagery here about our mortality. And it's a series of images that communicate. Just how short and brief our life truly is. It it describes the breakdown of our bodies due to aging, and it describes the reality of death that every one of us will face. The poem is framed by a clear, matter of fact instruction. Look at how the, how the, the section begins Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, right? Eventually, the pleasure of life gets harder and harder. We find our days increasingly more difficult and painful, but yet we should remember our creator in the days of our youth. Here, the the preacher is urging us to live a God-centered life, not when we're old and getting ready to go to the grave, but when we are young, We should make the Lord the highest priority of our lives. We should make him our constant and daily focus. We should make him unceasing in our purposes. Every day is a gift given to us by God, and the preacher says we should remember our God, our creator, every day of our lives. As one commentator put it, he says this remembrance of the creator is no perfunctory or purely mental act. It is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency And commit ourselves to him. And that's exactly what the preacher is calling us to do. So feel the pace of the narrative of this text, feel it quicken. The tempo of Ecclesiastes is increasing as the book makes its way to the conclusion. We are driving to that conclusion at the end of the book. Remember to to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's where we're going. And so as we consider all the vanity of the life, the preacher is urging us as he's making his way to that conclusion to remember God. A life of meaning, wisdom, and purpose comes by remembering the Lord, by making him the center of your life, not the vain pleasures that the world has to offer. So, the sooner we determine to live with God at the forefront of our lives, the better we will be off. Remember God from the days of your youth, in your childhood, in those teenage years. Often, the longer we delay putting our faith in Christ, the harder our hearts become and the more resistant to the gospel we become. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your best years living for yourself as a teenager, as a college student, in your 20s and your 30s. Don't waste your best years living for yourself when you can instead take those years of youthfulness and live them for God's glory. Put your faith in Christ and may he be the one that you live for as you enter into adulthood. Don't wait until you figure out life on your own before you live for God. You're never going to figure out life on your own. Instead, remember God. And may your life and may your decisions be centered upon him, and from your youth may the decades to come by your long life we pray, may it be a testimony to the world of God's glorious grace in your life as you live exclusively for him as your priority. But yet, the evil days come. The harshness of this fallen world causes our bones to crack and our energy to wane. The preacher begins to stack here, image after image after image, creating this sort of poetic tidal wave of our mortality. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. And the poem describes aging and dying the metaphor of a decrepit, decaying house being engulfed by a storm. That's sort of the image that's being conjured up in these words. Look at verse two. The celestial bodies of sun and moon and stars grow darkened as the storm of death encroaches upon the horizon. The, the light of life begins to fade as the tempest of age and death begin to come. Look at verse three when we see that those who keep the house, the house representing our lives, begin to tremble at the storms coming. The strong men, we're told in the text, are bent and tired and exhausted like a hunch in our back. The grinders, the text says, cease, perhaps being a metaphor for our teeth, which tend to hollow out and fall out as we age. The light within our bodies begin to dim. Our mental faculties deteriorate. Our memory fades. Our sharp wit doles. And then our friends, look at the image here, our friends and family who who look into the windows of our lives, wonder if anybody's home anymore. (laughs) That our lives become shut up. We become, we withdraw away from people and from society, right? We become exhausted. We're We're not as able to be as open and engaged as we once were. And then we're up at the crack of dawn. Before everyone gets up to go to the grinder to the windmill, the elderly get up before the song of the birds. They are unable to sleep. Our voices are like the daughters of song, once strong, but now by age are brought low and weak and fragile. While we used to run down hills and climb the monkey bars and ascend up trees when we were young, the thought of doing so now in our olden bodies bring fear because of our weaknesses. Like the white blossoms of the the almond tree, our hair grows white. The elderly, the preacher describes, this is quite an image, the elderly are like a crippled grasshopper dragging itself along as its death draws inevitably near. Desire falls, the preacher says, perhaps referring to sexual desire or just desire to do much of anything. There's weakness. And as the storm grows thickest, the old man described in the poem, by the metaphor of this house, prepares for his eternal home. Mourners begin to gather. They know death is coming for this person, and they know the death comes, and then it comes. It comes like a silver cord is snapped, like a golden bowl is broken, like a pitcher shattered at the fountain, like a wheel broken at the cistern a life of once youthfulness of pleasure of utility is no more we are clay pots made of dust and death shatters us upon the soil and at death we are but broken pot shards who have returned to the dirt from whence we came the poetic imagery begins to fade and then in verse 7 the preacher gets direct harkening back to the language of genesis and the dust of the earth as it was and the spirit returns God who gave it. We are made of dust, aren't we? And to dust we will return. Whether you are young or whether you are old, this picture of death is sobering, isn't it? If the Lord tarries, it will happen to you. Maybe it is happening to you. We are all mortal creatures. We grow weaker and more fragile with age, don't we? The fallen world is sort of like sandpaper, just slowly eroding us over the years back into the dust from whence we came. Now, picture this for a second, not to discourage you, but if you are an adult in the room today, consider this from this day on, you will grow weaker, not stronger. You are on a declining pattern with age. You will have less energy in the days to come, not more. You will have more bodily pain as you age, not less. You will need more people to help care for, yes, even your basic necessities, not less of them. You see, wisdom demands that we recognize our weakness. We confront this reality of our mortality. It means that we remember our creator all the days of our youth, particularly as we age. Right now, today, you are dying. Every one of us are. So take a breath right now. Go into it. Take a breath. And realize that you have one less breath before the Lord calls you home. Wisdom embraces that reality, it recognizes it. It doesn't deny it, doesn't minimize it, doesn't ignore it, doesn't pretend like it's not going to happen, but it embraces it. Because the preacher mentions that our bodies die, he also says that our souls will live he's clear that there is a life after death. We will go on into eternity before God. The Spirit, he says, returns to God, and we will stand before the judge. And as we stand before that judge, either we will enter into eternity with God, or we will be separated forever from God. And so I urge you to remember God all your days. Live with your hope in him. Trust in the Lord Jesus, who forgives you of your sins, who can make you right before God. Cling your mind and cling your heart, cling everything about yourself, cling to Jesus, for he alone can give us the courage to die well. Only Christ, only the sure thing of his historical and bodily resurrection, only that will give us the courage to face this death we see described in the text. Remember your creator. Remember him to whom you will return while your body decomposes in the grave. Often we fail at doing this, don't we? We fail in remembering our creator. We grumble about our days. We don't see them as sweet. We grumble, miserable, and we live our lives for ourselves. We are so forgetful. How many days has gone by just this past week where you've give no thought to the Lord? You gave no thought to his word. How frequently do we live this way? And then as we consider the horrors of aging and our bodies declining, our aging can even rob us of our memories, can't they? Have you ever watched someone grow old and die? There's wisdom in watching. Perhaps a grandparent, maybe a parent. I remember my my grandfather. He was a drill sergeant in the army. He was a stern, strong, and barrel-chested man. And as a drill sergeant in his youthfulness, he could yell in the front yard, and you could hear him miles away, barking orders and instructions. I mean, he was, he was a drill sergeant, and he would get up. He would run miles every day. He had a strong voice. I remember going to my grandparents' house, and he would have Southern Gospel playing on the radio, and he would sing in a loud, strong, bold, baritone voice. But age made that strong man weak. And age made that man's thick voice grow thin. And age made that man's memories fade. One of the last times that I saw him before he died, he was in a nursing home, gripped with Alzheimer's, confined to a wheelchair, mute and unable to speak. And he didn't remember who I was, and he didn't remember who he was. And as I sat there, looking into those ever-dimming eyes. What hope is there? He couldn't remember his creator. He barely knew his own name. But praise God that our hope is not in our remembrance of him, but his remembrance of us. Indeed, that is our hope, not that we remember God, that he remembers us. My name is graven on his hand. I will not be plucked out of the hand of Christ, my chief shepherd. And even though age may cause our minds and faculties to fade, so much so that we forget our own name, God will not forget his children at the day of death. After many long, hard years, my grandfather died just a few years ago. But here is the hope, the gospel hope that I have that though age stripped him of his remembrance of God, Jesus remembered him on that day. Even in the fragility of old age, God kept his saint secure. Here are the words of Christ from John's gospel. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What good news! In Christ, we are remembered and we are promised a future resurrection. Jesus himself said so he will raise us up on that last day. Like clay pots, death comes, age comes, and it shatters us. It leaves us weak and frail and dead. But by the power of Jesus Christ, we will be raised to resurrected life on that glorious day of the Lord, that when Jesus returns, he will give the command and the Lord will give us resurrected bodies. Amen. Perfect and untainted, unencumbered by sin no more. They will be perfect, just as God originally intended them them to be. And on that day, our weaknesses will be removed. Our sorrows will be gone. Our vexation banished. Our memories restored. Our energy renewed. Our voice strengthened. And with full strength and perfect health, And glorious resurrected bodies, we will remember the Lord Jesus Christ and we will praise him forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we consider your word, Lord, we are humbled, sobered by the reality of sin in this world, sin that can take the strong youthfulness that we used to possess and causes us to grow weakened and frail. Lord, we are reminded today of the fragile and frailty life that we live. Lord, some of us see the effects of our aging more than others. Lord, I love Redemption Church because it is a people from all across the spectrum of life, young and old, from babies to senior adults. And Lord, there's great wisdom in this room by recognizing the joys of youthfulness, but also the wisdom that comes from age would I pray, Lord, that we would live every day, young and old alike, for your glory. That we would remember you, especially in the days of our youth, but particularly as the vexation and pain of old age comes. And would I pray that you, by your Spirit working within us, that you would help us to die courageously, even as our bodies decay and grow weak and grow frail. Would help us to take great comfort in the wonderful truth that even though we strive by your spirit to remember you day by day, that you remember us. And that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and by his resurrection, so promises that those who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus will share in that glorious resurrection to come. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn what to live wisely in our own lives. But Lord, help us to always to look forward and hope to that great day where Christ will cause us to be raised. Lord, we pray that you would work and convict us of sin, however you might convict us. And Father, I pray that everyone here could hope in the coming resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.